Hi, I'm Brett Stafford, and this is RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. The British government just dropped a bombshell in the policy battle over the most effective way to end smoking. Health Minister Neil O'Brien announced an astonishing new plan. The government will provide 1 million smokers with a free vaping starter kit to help smokers kick the habit. The Swap to Stop program is a world first, and it couldn't come at a more opportune time. Anti-vaping campaigners in the UK have made surprising headway over the past 12 months by hyping concerns over flavors, illicit disposables, and of course, a so-called epidemic of teen vaping. Joining us today to talk through the impact of this astonishing new plan is Clyde Bates, tobacco control policy expert and former director of Action on Smoking and Health UK. Clive, thanks for coming back on the show. Always a pleasure, Brent. Glad to be here. Well, how big of the news is this news about 1 million free vapes? Well, I think it's big news. Uh, it's a massive endorsement by a big government of uh, vaping as a harm reduction strategy. Uh, the thinking behind it is that the people who need this, the initial starter kits, are going to be the poorer people, the people who suffer forms of disadvantage, um, who basically just need to get themselves over the hurdle of starting. It's not it's not the government paying for people to vape indefinitely. It's just doing enough to get them started. Now, if you think about it, if you if if you don't know what it's going to be like, uh, you're strapped for money. Uh, you're struggling to meet make ends meet. You don't know whether you're going to like it. Uh, you don't know how to get started. That's a pretty big barrier to jumping over to vaping. If you can jump over, you save money. Your health is better. You probably feel better about yourself because you're not excluded and you're not, you know, you're not putting up with all the stigma and everything. So that's the idea. It's designed to be catalytic, to you know, trip people from smoking into vaping and then people would be self-sustaining in vaping once it's switched now is it also designed to address some of the misperceptions that are prevalent in the media with regard to vaping well i i think the biggest uh, factor in addressing misperceptions is that it, however you look at it it's a massive endorsement of vaping by a major government so you know it doesn't Yes, they'll give the the and the National Health Service in Britain already gives out sensible, reasonable, proportionate advice on vaping. We have um, we have Public Health England and its successor uh, give reasonable information. They compile evidence and so on. But you can't beat a government basically saying yes, we back this as the alternative to smoking. I mean, everything else is um, detail and noise. The big communication is we're doing this because we think it's good. And that, that's what people will take away from this. The government thinks this is a good thing to do as an alternative to smoking. Otherwise, they wouldn't be providing a million starter kits. Now, from what I understand, it's almost one in five of all smokers in England that will be provided these kits. And there's behavioral support as well. That's the idea. The, the idea is to tie up... Um, a, a pragmatic, constructive intervention on technology, in other words, get people started with the behavioral support that you get from the stop smoking services that we have in Britain, 
What I'm hoping is that the government is fairly open about this and leaves lots of room for creativity so that some of these services will link up with vape shops because there's a whole huge amount of expertise um, in the vape shops. You know, if you if you want to learn how to vape and you want to get exactly the right vaping product for you, the place you go is not a hospital, not a doctor, but a vape shop. They'll see you right. They'll they'll know how to adjust the flavors, the strength, what devices work, and so on. And that those shops, and we think of them as shops selling vapes, but they're not. They're a kind of community-based service in which they help people find the product that they they want. So it's a mixture of selling a product and providing a service. So what we want to see is some imagination going on there in the way this is delivered so that people form a relationship with a vape shop that helps them get the right products and the right kind of thing that works for them. And that will increase the chances that these are successful. And then the shops will then, you know, be able to get people on an affordable package compared to smoking, which is incredibly expensive in Britain. You know, um, 20 Marlboro would be costing, well, in pounds would be about uh, 12 pounds. That would be, what, $15 US dollars, don't know, in Canadian. But, you know, they're really expensive here. And people will save a ton of money if they make this switch. That's what, that's, there's so many good things about it. Once the people switch, their health will improve, their welfare will improve, self-esteem will improve, and they'll have a lot more money on the table in the household budget. So the government's understood that this is a critical intervention, not only for health, but for health inequalities. It's designed to help the poorest people, and those are the people that suffer the burdens of smoking and the regressive burdens of tobacco taxation. Now, you make a great point about the vape shops, and from what we've been told, uh, it's going to be open system products that it's likely to be handed out by the government. So that makes a great logical connection to the vape shops. Well, the government, quite rightly, is is sensitive about, um, you know, single-use disposables and, and, and the waste problem and so on. Um, what I hope is that they're not too prescriptive um, and that actually they let people find what the thing that works is the thing that works for the person. There, there isn't a universal silver bullet in vaping or, you know, smoke free products that works for works for everybody and is just like the best thing or that's what everyone would be buying. People have different tastes. They have different needs at different times. Uh, they may have different products that they want at different points in their journey away from smoking. Um, they may be a concurrent user for some time and then gradually taper down their smoking and taper up their vape. Everybody does it in a different way. So the key thing, I think, is that the government shouldn't be too prescriptive. It should follow what works for people and they should be able to explore that with the professional help that we have in the NHS and the stop smoking services, and the, if you like, the service element of what goes on in vape shops. That's the way this will work best. It's amazing. Twenty taking twenty percent of all current smokers and putting a, a vape starter kit in their hand. Yeah. That's a huge shot in the arm. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not. It, obviously, it's a brilliant thing to do, uh, and if you could just get to the the poorest 20% of smokers. I mean, it's not that easy to do. You have to get people, you can't make them do it. 
you have to get people to want it, uh, to want to try it, to experiment. I have to say, it doesn't work for everybody. There are people who try vaping and say, well, thank you very much, but I'll, I'll carry on with smoking. So it, it will it will be successful, but it won't be, you know, it won't be like a, you know, a one off, you know, total wipeout of smoking. Um, but it will make a difference and it will what it will do, I think, is it, it, it will normalize vaping in poorer communities where at the moment smoking rates can be very high indeed. You know, in some of the poorest places, you see smoking rates up around 70, 70% in the most disadvantaged communities, um, very isolated pockets, or, you know, particular groups, people with mental health problems, homeless, prisoners, you know, sort of thing, very, very high levels of smoking. If you can get into those groups and normalize vaping or something as an alternative, those people won't be just be quitting and saying, well, that's it, you know, I'm just gonna use a, a nicotine patch and quit. But if you can find a different way of that for them to take nicotine, saves them money and still works for them, game on. Massive, massive win for health and in terms of health disparities. Clive, they're also focusing, the government is, on helping pregnant women. What's the plan yeah. there? Well, uh, I mean, uh, there's been a, a and I can't remember the exact name, but uh, I think it's some kind of, Pregnancy and Tobacco Advisory Group um, in in the UK that's been working away at these issues for years. I mean, they have had, uh, you know, people like Linda Bald and so on have had this sustained effort to uh, put the concept together uh, of a harm reduction approach for smoking in pregnancy and to work out what instruments would would make it work and they've they've piloted this voucher scheme and so on and it seems to work and they're going to now roll it out at scale it's good public health strategy it's the right way of doing things and that that's what they're going to do um i mean of, of course people say well you know no one should use no one should smoke or do anything during during prison smoke drink shouldn't have any fun or do anything but reality-based approach to this says that, you know, yeah, you you might you might want women, uh, you know, to quit quit everything completely, but life tells us that that just doesn't happen. The pressures on people are such, and the stresses that they feel are such that many just continue to smoke through preg- pregnancy as a partly as a coping mechanism, partly because it's what they used to, partly because the drugs are dependence forming and so on. So the question is, what can you do? that will help people not necessarily eliminate the risk, but reduce it. Because just saying, well, you must quit, and here's some patches, doesn't seem to work that well. So there's been more imagination has gone into this. What are the incentive structures you can use to get women to focus on this? And what are the interventions you can use to help them get away from smoking? And it's a a great program. Um, let's, Let's see what happens. I know it will be evaluated very carefully, um, you know, it's going to scale now. So hopefully other countries will be able to learn from it. Um, you know, if we make any mistakes, then they'll be able to learn from those. And if we get success, they'll be able to learn from that. Now, and to be clear that there for some time during this research and in other programs, some pregnant women in the UK have been getting uh, e-cigarettes uh, for treatment yeah, for smoking. Yeah, no, they've been, it, 
they, they've been pretty clear, which is, you know, a lot of people say, well, you shouldn't have any sort of nicotine at all. But that is an unhelpful message if it means that the woman goes, well, no one's helping me. I'm just going to smoke. You know, so what what it does, and this is this is at the heart of the British, you know, uh, academic mindset and the professional mindset in Britain is we don't we don't accept that everyone will give up smoking just because we say they should. Um, and frankly, we've been doing that since 1962. And, you know, we still have one in six of the population are, or um, yeah, around one, around one, no, uh, around one in uh, around one in seven of the population, adult population smokes. So and we've been saturated with information um, about, um, you know, how bad it is, how antisocial it is. People have had the they've been, you know, taxed until the pip squeal. They've been hammered with restrictions, with plain packaging and everything. And we've still got, you know, seven million smokers, six, seven million smokers. So, you know, you, you can't you can't wish the problem away. You have to find pragmatic ways to reduce the harm to those who will continue to smoke or use nicotine, whether we like it or not. And that includes pregnant women. Clive, with the swap to stop program and as well this track record of providing e-cigarettes to pregnant women, it, it strikes me that this is making a very, very important argument for the efficacy and, dare I say, safety of e-cigarettes. I think implied in the government's approach to this is a strong statement in support of safety, you know, relative harm, harm relative to cigarettes, and the idea that these products ultimately displace smoking. I mean, those are the two things you need for harm reduction to work. The products must be much lower risk and they must substitute or displace smoking. Um, and that the fact that they're running this sort of program means the government, the government in England has accepted that those two conditions are met. And therefore, there is a public health harm reduction advantage to be had and frankly if you ignore it or you you know pretend that that isn't the case then you're actually adding to the harm implicitly if you don't do these things if you do know that vaping is much less risky and you know that it displaces smoking and you still try and suppress it what are you doing you're adding to the total net harm you know, because you're not doing what you could do to exploit the value of these lower risk products. So I think that's where they are scientifically and ethically, that once you know this and you know how cost effective it is, then you have to do it. Clive, we just had Louise Ross on the show. She's a clinical consultant with the UK's National Center for Smoking Cessation and Training. And she told us that the government held this news very close to its chest, giving her only 24 hours notice was the announcement a surprise to you? It was a surprise. Uh, it was a surprise and a delight. Uh, we we had heard uh, all kinds of ominous drum rolls. Uh, the anti-vaping, the usual anti-vaping suspects had been beating their chests about flavor bans, disposable bans, um, plain packaging for vapes. And 
all, all, all manner of things that would just basically do nothing except protect the cigarette trade, certainly wouldn't stop anyone smoking. So it was a great surprise. Uh, and, uh, I, and I, you know, it's great to get good news in this field because there's so much bad news most of the time. Um, and they've done it in a very eye-catching way. There's a, another thing that I wasn't expecting that uh, the new nicotine alliance has been pushing, and me too, um, which is the idea of putting inserts in cigarette packs uh, that would encourage people to switch to vaping. So it's essentially using the cigarette pack as a promotional vehicle for vaping. That was another surprise. I mean, we've, we've talked up that proposal, but I wasn't expecting them to do it. So that's also very good. They have said they want to consult on measures to um, reduce uh, youth vaping, of course. Uh, but I think that gives us an argument, and the government here is receptive to this, that you have to be very careful with these measures. You, 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 know, you can do things like ban flavours or disposable flavors, but you, you might end up with more smoking. Unintended consequences are the main consequences of doing these youth anti-vaping measures. And the danger is in order to protect a, a few young people from messing around with vapes and not a particularly serious health risk, you end up subjecting adults to much greater health risks because you end up having more smoking and less vaping than you otherwise would have had. I'd like to show you, Clive, uh, this story. This was in the Sunday Times. Uh, just about a couple of weeks ago, vaping epidemic among teenagers prompts calls for regulation. Doctor warn, doctors warn almost all teenagers could be vaping in Britain in five years. There's absolutely no basis for saying that. I mean, I'm sure a doctor popped up who knows nothing about the epidemiology or anything to do with any of this popped up to say that, maybe put a ruler on a graph and said that, well, if you just project this forward, you know, um, th then everyone will be vaping. But that's not how it works. Um, there's only a subset of the population who are interested in using nicotine, who want to use these products. Um, you know, it, there's no reason to think that everyone would be using these. There is a reason to think that more people will use them than would have smoked for the simple reason that vaping is not really very dangerous. And the harms of smoking essentially amount to a deterrent to its use. The harms, the stigma, the taxation, the smell, the mess, all of that sort of thing have been increasingly a deterrent. Now, none of that comes with vaping. So it is possible that more people will want to vape than would have wanted to smoke. I mean, that's just sort of economics 101. The cost to the individual go down, you'd expect the use to go up. But it's not going to be an epidemic or a reason to panic. And even if you get more people smoking, we have to remember, vaping just isn't very dangerous. Um, and so I always think in terms, you know, I'm, when I have a daughter now and I think, well, what's my like risk register for, um, you know, a young girl? And I tell you what, vaping isn't really very high up on it. When you think of all the things that you would worry about as a parent, you know, uh, hard drugs, alcohol, texting while driving, mental health problems, bullying, um, so, some of the suicide inducing stuff you see on the Internet. You know, the list of things to be anxious about is very long. 
if you're actually sensible about vaping, it's not something to worry about too much. I mean, that's not a popular public message, but that's the reality from a public health point of view is that compared to smoking, compared to illicit drug taking, compared to excessive alcohol use, compared to driving under the influence, texting while driving, all of these things are much, much more dangerous. Now, you mentioned, Clive, that one of the one of the developments of this program could be the normalization of vaping, yet it's exactly that, that tobacco control and anti-vaping campaigners have been trying to prevent for several years, uh, is the normalization of vaping. So how have the campaigners reacted to the Swap to Stop program? Well, uh, they don't like it. Uh, they, 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 they think abstinence is the way to go. And this is, um, you know, this is a kind of sinner's pathway uh, in which, you know, more people will use the drug nicotine and therefore we'll be, you know, a society enslaved to nicotine. But the, 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 the key thing to understand here is that people like me and most of us in tobacco control or public health came into the tobacco control issue because of serious diseases. You know, if you go back to the Surgeon General, the Royal College of Physicians, big reports in the 60s, it was all about cancer, cardiovascular disease, COPD, strokes, uh, peripheral vascular disease, horrible, horrible things that caused people to die early and live in misery. And that's why we came in wanting to do something about smoking. Now, I for one, I don't, I'm not particularly judgmental about drug use. If people, you know, you know, people drink alcohol, they take caffeine. Increasingly, we've normalized the use of, of, of cannabis. This is a relatively innocuous recreational drug. Very, very little in the way of side side effects. People don't lose consciousness. They don't get violent. They don't become, they don't lose their ability to drive a car. Um, they don't have household break, breakdown or anything like that as a result of it. So we have to get used to thinking of this as something that's a bit more like um, taking caffeine or moderate alcohol consumption. And the fact that more people do it isn't necessarily a reason for us to lose our minds over it. The problem is there is a deep conflation between the, the drug nicotine and the harms associated with smoking. And those two are very, very blurred and mingled in the public consciousness. And therefore people have seen nicotine as a sort of demon drug where actually it isn't really. Clive, on its face, this appears to be a monumental program. The question is, will it happen? I think it will happen. Uh, the, 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 the commitment is there. They've said they're going to do it. Uh, they, they, they put the money aside into the budget. It's a bold, preventative measure. Uh, the minister that's behind it, Neil O'Brien, is well-respected and capable. Um, and I think we'll understand that the, there's a delivery challenge. Whether it'll work at the scale they have announced it at, that's a different question. That that will always be about what the uptake is and what the level of interest is. But the commitment's there. And I, and I think they they really want it to work because it's a it's a critical intervention on health inequalities. And if you if you if you look at where the political battlegrounds are in the United Kingdom, they are in these towns 
where people are living pretty rough lives. You know, there's been a lot of unemployment, low paid work. Um, you know, people have been hit by inflation. So this is something they can do at low cost that plays well in these poorer communities in terms of two things, improving health and well-being, but also putting money on the table by saving some of the costs of smoking. They're not going to reduce tobacco taxes. So this is a way in which they can actually help people respond to those taxes, save some money and, you know, put more food on the table um, because they're saving money. So it's actually a very well thought through intervention. Doesn't cost very much um, in terms of the benefits that you get from it. So I've always thought that this would be a very promising intervention that you can make work that deals with the welfare of the poorest people. There's not many things you can say that about, to be honest. There aren't that many things that are easy and cheap to do. And this is one of them. When it comes to tobacco control and public health, intervention is really the key. It's the it's the moment where the theory, you know, intersects in with the population and something happens. And quite frankly, when it comes to tobacco control, their interventions around vaping has been wagging fingers, demonizing, banning, smearing, misleading. And those are their interventions. This is the first real intervention I've seen from government that's got a shot at making a difference. Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of things to say. I mean, the tobacco control business model is essentially we will as a, we we will inflict various forms of pain and discomfort on you as a smoker um you know we'll tax you we'll restrict you we'll apply stigma to you um we, we'll ban you from public places and all this and our promise to the you is that when you start doing what we tell you to do which is to stop smoking the pain will stop okay so it's a very punitive coercive model at, at its heart uh, okay now, what this is, is saying, uh, actually, there's a different way. We can help you do this with your consent. Okay, so in, in, this, in this model, we, the state, put ourselves on your side and become an enabler for a behavior change that will be beneficial to you in multiple ways. We're not going to just, like, beat you into doing it. We're going to we're going to do it with you and with we're going to be there to help you rather than make you do it. And I think that's a much better model of public health, in my opinion. And I think and I think we've pulled we've pulled the applying pain levers. We've hit people with biggest big sticks now for as much as we can. You know that we can't keep raising taxes. You can't keep excluding people. You can't keep stigmatizing them into a kind of submission uh, and hope that they will go with you. They'll just um, defect. They'll go to the black market. They'll they'll you know they'll just walk away, and you'll have lost them. This is a much better way of doing public health, in my opinion. It's much more ethical. It's much more respectful. It's the you know the smoker as a citizen and a voter, not a patient. Uh, you know to be to be treated and controlled, and that I think is a, a you know, like a fundamental difference in philosophy here. There's been signs of this in, in 
England in the past. I mean, they've advertised vaping and they've been positive about it. And they've, you know, they've encouraged uh, uh, stop smoking services to become vaping friendly and so on. But this is like on a whole different scale. Now, let me first ask you about the U.S. Uh, is there any hope that this program might crack through FDA and CTP and campaign for tobacco-free kids? I mean, truth. Is this likely to have any difference in the U.S.? I I don't think the conditions are set up for this sort of thing in the in in the U.S. To be honest, this hasn't come out of a clear blue sky out of nowhere in in England. You know, the people uh, the people behind this have been working with this mindset for years. Um, you know, the people at Public Health England, as it was, the academics at King's College. Um, Queen Mary, UCL and everyone, the, the people who are, if you like, the brains behind this have, you know, have see have this philosophical approach that is quite deeply embedded. Um, and, you know, it's a it's a very pragmatic style. We don't we don't really see that in the United States. In fact, what we see is the opposite. We see, you know, a, a billionaire money um, in huge quantities that flowing into health organizations to encourage them to, to create a very shrill, aggressive narrative that talks only about young people vaping is largely indifferent to the actual at-risk population, which are ad, you know middle-aged adult smokers. They're the people who are really at risk and suffer the harms if they don't switch or stop soon. Okay. And they, they, the distorting lens of all that money, all that ideology, all the research that's funded is orientated, primarily orientated to youth vaping issues now. I mean, that's the, that's what you, if you want to get a grant in the US, that's what you go for. The depth isn't there to get that sort of change of mindset in the, in the United States. But what I'm hoping is that England will set a good example which it already is, and that in the end, sensible governments, and I'm thinking Canada, uh, that might be a surprise, but to me they are, you know, they are a sensible, uh, the potential there is for sensible policy. Policy has been changing in Canada in a good way. New Zealand, um, some of the European countries who think about these issues in a more compassionate and less ideological way that are more pragmatic and want to get things done and achieve results with smokers and don't want to just beat them with sticks and talk about young people. That That's what we need more of, really. But I don't see that starting in the United States. Clive, last question. With all the work you've done over the years in support of safer nicotine products and considering the amount of flack you've had to take from anti-vaping campaigners, does the UK's Swap to Stop program provide you any satisfaction or maybe even a sense of vindication? Look, I, I'm the thing I'm interested in is what it does for um, you know the six, seven million smokers that we have in in the UK. A, a lot of a lot of people are going to have a better and longer life for this, uh, and that's what gives me satisfaction. I, I think it's a vindication of the harm reduction approach that me and frankly many others have been pushing in the UK and internationally. It's a recognition by a major government that tobacco harm reduction 
It's an important public health strategy that the risks and benefits play out in the right way, that the risks of vaping are much lower, that vaping substitutes for smoking, that people who switch will, will, will experience significant benefits. That's the important thing. It's an endorsement from an, a major government. Uh, and I, what I'm hoping, because um, you know, England's a, a relatively small jurisdiction worldwide, is that people in where the big smoking rates are in, you know, Vietnam, Asia, uh, Indonesia, in South, uh, South America, they pick up on this and go, hang on, there's something to see here. And that's what we need. We need, we need something that disrupts this narrative that this is all about, you know, just the tobacco industry and just hooking kids and all this. Not true. It's about doing something that will change the basic technology of nicotine use from something that's extremely dangerous to something that's relatively benign with enormous health benefits that will run to, uh, I think over time, hundreds of millions of uh, avoided premature deaths. It's a massive public health potential here. And I think this thing that's happened in England hopefully we'll start to kickstart that around the world and we'll give um, public health officials more confidence in that strategy and push back on some of the nonsense that they're getting from the WHO and some of these other grandstanding health officials that you see.